Hello, this is Love a Sister Freedom and okay. Go Good evening and blessings and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom Estate. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Okay, this is Leslie Gist, and this is a special edition of the Gist of Freedom. Uh, We are working in tandem, broadcasting um, in tandem with TNL Radio out of New York City. I have my partners on the line, my co-host, Ms. Nellie Johnson from the HBCU Tuskegee Institute, and I have the executive producer on the line known as Grandma Ellen, and we're going to start this show off. Of course, we're only a few days away from voting for our next president. The Obama era is over. It's uh, quickly closing in, so we're going to talk about some parallels between the Reconstruction era and what's going on now with Donald Trump and his Trumpets. And but before we get started, this is the season, the holiday season we're, we're approaching as well, with Thanksgiving and Christmas and um, Kwanzaa and all of these things. A lot of people need our help. They need to know that someone is out there that cares for them. And I think this is the time where we need to embrace each other. And the one person I could think that does that does this on a regular basis is Miss Nellie Johnson. And she's always giving information out for uh for the public, those who are in need. So I like to start my show off and if I could on a weekly basis start it off with Miss Nellie Johnson's um announcements, benevolent uh charitable announcements. You're on Miss Johnson. Okay. Um on November eighth, the River Fund and the City Harvest is giving out food, free food, in Pink Houses area. That's on the corner of Crescent Street and Linden Boulevard. It's actually in Pink Houses property, so if you're on the street, you may not see it. You actually have to go into the property at that corner, and you will see them giving out the food, and you can go and, you know, get whatever you need from them. Uh, Also, the... For those people who don't need the free food um, or who may not be able to eat the kind of food that's being given away, um, I know my husband can't eat onions, so I don't go um, because I can't. There's certain things that we can't eat. So, um, But for those people who can't eat whatever's being given out, that's the place to be on Tuesday, November 8th. Uh, also, because, you know, you got to go vote. So you might as well stop over there between 9 and 11 and see what the offering is and if it's something you can use. So (laughs) that's for the free food. Now, for the people who want to just get some fresh food, fresh fruits and vegetables, you could just stop off at the New Lots um, Farmer's Market. That's at Stink and New Lots and see what they have there. Uh, that's coming from the farm. Some of it is coming from the farms in our area, 
uh, the the gardens, the um, what do you call it, the um, community gardens. <laughs> I knew it come to me. The community gardens also provide some of that fresh food that are being sold at the farmers markets. One of them is at from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And the other one is at New Lots in Georgia from 3.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. The one at New, at New Lots in Skank is on Saturday from 9 to 3. Now, I don't know how far into November they're going to be there. So you can check by and ask whoever's there how long the farmer's markets are going to be open. And you oh, can right. get your fresh fruits and vegetables. So, Wonderful. Okay, so I'm looking, while you were talking about all these things that are going on on election day, something that is really fascinating and heartwarming to me is that the YMCA will babysit your kids while you go out and vote. Because uh, the last president's election, many people in uh, urban areas had to stand out for hours and hours and miss time from work and, you know, babysitting issues. So we are learning from the past with all the obstacles mm-hmm. that they, they uh, confront us with. We have learned from the past, and we are joining together, and we are looking out for each other. And now um, if you Google Babysit Vote YMCA, you can find hundreds of articles that um, talk about this service that is being presented. And I think um, this evil election, it is the most evil election I think I've ever read about and will certainly live through. Um, I think it's going to backfire, and I'm praying that it will, that mm-hmm. people will gather, will um, galvanize and do the right thing for each other and know that we can never allow anyone like uh, Trump to ever surface to the top to where he is right now. Um, and this has to be done, and I guess this is like an alarm being raised, and so I'm happy to start my show off with you, Miss Nellie Johnson, who you've been mm-hmm. doing this type of work prior to um, Trump, prior to Barack Obama. Um, so if people like you, I think they're going to make a difference um, for our future, and you, we're all learning from you. Our children are learning from you. So I want to give you a, a, a compliment and tell you to keep pushing through no matter mm-hmm. who's the president or who's in office because we need you. And I appreciate, and I'm honored to be working with you on this radio. And I second the motion. I, I, and I put it all to Grandma. She, she's the one with the vision. I'm no, just following through. Yes, yes. And of course, when I talk about you, Miss uh, Miss Johnson, your partner by the hip is Miss Ellen Grandma. Uh, the two of you are dynamic. <laughs> so um, it's awesome. Uh, like I said, we we want to talk about looking back in ancient times and Egyptian times to look for queens and kings. But the queens and mm-hmm. kings are right here in front of us doing the work today and making a difference in our lives today. So, and and I know you do know about our Egyptian and African roots. But for mm-hmm. those who are doing mm-hmm. the, for those who are doing the work and who are ignorant of our African roots and heritage. I want to commend them because they're not doing it because of their African heritage, but they're doing it because of their humanity, their spiritual mm-hmm. heritage, which is equally important that we must recognize that we are human beings and we're spiritual people, and we must continue to be our brother and sister's keepers. 
and the two of you are doing an exceptional job of it. So, um, again, we have to talk about this election, you know, um, because it's it's a it's a terrible time in American history, um, and no matter who wins, as someone uh, explained it best, the low life who are supporting Trump have already reared their their head, and it's going to be very hard to put them back in mm-hmm. um, into the toothpaste tube, as they said. So you're yeah, not going to be able to them. You can't unring it. We know yeah, who they are. We they Trump has exposed them, and mm-hmm. now that we know who they are, and I've seen so many Trump signs. There's a gas station near me who was offering the first 100 customers um, that if he says if Trump is elected, the first 100 customers he's going to celebrate with them by giving them ten dollars of free gas. Mm. Now, of course, you know, I had to tell the gas, the gas station that I would never, ever, ever go back to that gas station again. Even if it's for an emergency and I have to use the bathroom, I would use it on myself yeah. before I would go back and pay um, any money to, to the low life. So um, it's important that we do the best that we can on a regular basis um, to share our kindness with one another. So um, mm-hmm. let's go to my traditional format, which is resurrecting those spirits that we just talked about through people through that lived through the um, slave era who overcame it. And one of them who was born into or born shortly after, that 267 shares on my Facebook page. His name is um, Mr. Matthew A. Cherry. He invented and and patented the tricycle. So Mr. Cherry was an African American inventor who created several devices for the transportation industry, including the tricycle, the streetcar fender, and something else I cannot pronounce. But he's a great person. Um, when we look around in America and see many people benefiting from a lot of inventions, many times we don't attribute them to our African Americans who came out of slavery. And it's time that we um, acknowledge them. We seek them out for so many reasons. We seek them out for inspiration for ourselves, and we seek them out because they deserve to be acknowledged. And I had one young man ask me, well, why is history so important? I don't understand why history is important. Mm. Why are you so um, such a fanatic over history? I said, well, you never asked the people in in, in power, why they're fanatics over history, their names are on almost every street sign, on every building. Mm -hmm. But we don't call that fanaticism when it comes to um, the people in power celebrating their history 24-7. So I will take that title because I feel as though we're being left out. But you know, Leslie, a lot of times people don't realize they're celebrating other folks' ancestors. It's like mm-hmm. when you see street signs, people don't equate that with somebody who lived in the area whose name was like, um, say, um, sure, I, get one. Yeah, I, say, um, I live near Skank Avenue. 
there was a person that was active in this area years and I'll say a hundred years ago, whose name was Skink. And somebody when he died decided to name the street after him. Right. Um somebody named Barbie is where our library is. Um years and years ago somebody lived in this area and the people that lived around him when he died they named the street after him. So you know and, 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 that that's and how a lot of this gets done. And people just don't they just see it and they don't they don't realize that that you was a person at but some if point. You, you know how you can find that if people really appreciate those names and really are uh, understanding what's happening, change all those names to Latino names. Uh-huh. Or and black names. Let's see if there's a, mm-hmm. a black name and see if there's an uproar. So while mm-hmm. they're low, low enough to sleep to say, oh, we really don't care. Those names don't mean much. Try to change mm-hmm. and see yeah. what happens. Any of the names. So... Um, we've been duped into thinking that history is not important, black history. Mm -hmm. And they try to dupe us into thinking history in general isn't important. Mm -hmm. It's very important to the millions like Trump and the people that work for him. Everything he's doing comes from history. He's repeating a playbook called a history book. He's Mm -hmm. not going to tell you and say, oh, I'm going back to 1866. But he and his cronies know that's exactly what they're doing. So we also have to revisit it and find out how they, they, they want to make America great again. Right. They want to go back America to a great. time when there was no black people in power. Correct. And you just made the perfect segue to um, my interview about the Reconstruction period. During the Reconstruction era, um, African-American politicians made so much progress, which created the KKK and created the Donald mm-hmm. Trump and created Donald mm-hmm. Trump of today. Because of all that progress we made in such a short period of time, it was alarming. Not only did we have the progress, but we also had the political numbers. In the South, we made up the majority. So once we mm-hmm. were able to vote, it was automatically known that once we were able to vote, we were going to vote for the people that represent us. And that mm-hmm. was something that could not be tolerated. So I'm just going to um, read a snippet from my Facebook page, a post, and it's, it's about the Reconstruction politicians. And Congress in March in 1865 created the Bureau of Refugees, Freedmen, and Abandoned Lands to assist the transition from slavery to freedom in the South. They also were the ones who made public education um, possible, not just for blacks, but for whites as well, in the South. The South didn't have mm-hmm. Um, education, um, educational institutions. The Bureau was given the supervision and management of all abandoned lands. Now, why were the lands abandoned? Because the Confederates who run around here proudly holding the flag that represents their loss, they left. They took off and they abandoned their towns, their women, their children, and went to the, to the north. So these abandoned lands, our black politicians said, okay, if they're going to abandon the lands, we'll take it. And they wrote bills and things of that nature to say that we as free people could um, purchase these lands. And somehow it could be used in the 40 acres, um, 40 acres in the mule deal. Their responsibilities included introducing a system of, of free labor overseeing some 3,000 schools for free persons, selling disputes and enforcing contracts between the usual white landowners and their black labor force, and securing justice for blacks in the state courts. 
The bureau was renewed by a congressional bill in 1866. Now, that leads me to my next story. 1866, that bill caused a lot of problems, and it led to a massacre in 1866 in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And at that time, the Republican Party was the best party for African Americans, and we had mm-hmm. blacks and whites working together in this party, and it really annoyed the um, the whites. Yeah, the white landowners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, the white poor, poor whites too. So, mm-hmm. what made me bring this? What made all this come to mind and 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 motivated me to share these stories because I read about Donald Trump um, telling his cronies that they need to watch the election. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So let me just read a little bit about what he said. Donald Trump has a lot in common with former Confederates. Uh, from 120 years ago, urging his minions to go to certain areas on election day and watch who is voting. is reminiscent Mm -hmm. of the tensions which led to the New Orleans massacre of 1866. At a recent rally in Pennsylvania, a must-win state for Trump, he digressed from his text to remind his mostly white audience of this danger, urging them Mm -hmm. to go to certain areas and watch. The implication, of course, mm-hmm. was that they should challenge anyone who appeared to be unqualified, nor was mm-hmm. this a random remark. The Trump campaign features a website where supporters can sign up to become Trump election observers and stop crooked Hillary from rigging this election. Now, it also mm-hmm. reminds me of our failing, Sarah Taylor. Remember she had some of the Democratic senators and politicians in her site, in a gun site. She had a website. And it led uh-huh. to the politician Gabby Gilson. Uh-huh. Getting, getting shot in the head. And as soon so, as that happened, Taylor disavowed it. Oh, no, that's not what I meant. Everybody knows what I meant was not for her to be shot, but her campaign to be shot down. I said, yeah, but the crazies didn't know that. Right. You know? So when you see there are people out there that believe that him. Right. He's doing the same thing. So mm-hmm. um, in 1866, and I'll just read a little bit. You can read the rest of it on your own. Um, voter rights tensions led to New Orleans massacre in 1866. The state constitutional convention of 1864 gave greater freedoms to blacks within Louisiana but did not provide for black voting rights. Free people of color had long been an important part of New Orleans. Many owned property and were seeking to vote. Republicans had the goals of extending the suffrage to freedmen and eliminating the black code. The massacre took place outside the Mechanics Institute in New Orleans as black and white delegates attended the Louisiana Constitutional Convention. The, the convention had reconvened because the Louisiana state legislators had recently passed the black codes and refused to extend voting rights. Also on May 12, 1866, four years of Union Army imposed martial law ended. So as soon as the protection was removed out of the state, the KKK started to rise. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they rioted the minute those police were gone. And they, um, you know, they found a way to take the guns away from the former black soldiers who had their guns, and they tricked them 
into um, releasing them. They repossessed their guns, and then they attacked mm-hmm. them. So this is why um, you hear them saying they'll never let their guns go because they know mm-hmm. the history that when the blacks let go of their guns, they attack them. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to um, conclude this part of the show and start with my audio tape. But before I do that, is there anything anyone else wants to add? No? Okay. Um, I just want to tell people that the way to make your voice heard is to get out there and vote. And don't believe that hype about texting your vote. There's no such thing. There's no texting your vote and no emailing your vote. you got to actually get up, go outside, and vote. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. You guys have a great weekend. Um, And uh, it just ends prematurely. It says 30 minutes exactly. We'll come back on. We'll see. But let me hit play. At Wendy's... this just in. Wendy's new Swiss Junior Bacon Cheeseburger is now an option for four for four. Let's go Lead live it. to Switzerland. You can hear the ceremonial Swiss Alpine horn welcoming the new Swiss Junior Bacon Cheeseburger. Now an officer from the Swiss Army is using his knife to cut into a ceremonial block of cheese. There you have it. The deliciously different Swiss it's Junior Bacon Cheeseburger. Now available for a limited time with four nuggets, fries, and a for just $4. Dollars. Stay neutral, Switzerland. At participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska, Hawaii, or Switzerland. Good evening and blessings, and welcome to another installment. Yes, okay, so I can take, so we're waiting for this to um, queue up the show, and I'll read a little bit uh, from it. Alonzo Jacob Ranzer in 1866, he attended South Carolina's first Republican convention and traveled to Washington with a petition from Charleston. Um, fighting for equal rights. And he defended the black soldiers and asked for money, something to that nature. Let's see where we are now. No, no, don't tell me I did the wrong thing. Okay. So while I'm waiting for that to queue up, I hit the wrong button by mistake, I'll go back to reminding you that Sunday is fallback. So we have to fall back on our time. And, yes, so let's not forget that. You don't want to be an hour late. So (laughs) No, be an hour early. Yeah, you don't want to the first one in church. So remember, Benjamin Seneca, he uh, invented one of the clocks. So let's give props to Benjamin. Let's see if this is ready. Thank you, Benjamin Dunnigan. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I I use mine religiously. At Wendy's. Yes, the clock. I'm not a clock watcher, but I I need that alarm clock to get up in the morning. Otherwise, I'll mm-hmm. be sleeping through something that I'm supposed to be doing. Mhm. And then we also have um, the story about Lost Creek and Lick Creek. Um, Lost Creek, there were blacks living in North Carolina in Lost Creek, and they eventually migrated and started their own town called Lit Creek in Indiana. But this was before Indiana became a state. Because I had uh, mm-hmm. 
shared the story the wrong way. I had been migrating to North Carolina, starting off in Indiana. But the story is that um, they migrated to Indiana. From North Carolina to Indiana. Right. So anytime slavery came, we would take off. I don't blame you, you know. Get out of town because this is a bad time. This is a bad thing. The arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. They're still talking. We thank you for... All right, let's see. So this may be a time for us to take off again. I ain't too shame or too proud, too proud to run. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, yeah. So we uh, we are survivors though. We, yes, we are. We survive. We that's what I keep telling people. We are the children of the survivors. No, this is Leslie Gibbs, and you're listening to the Gist of Freedom. Tonight we have Mr. Mark E. Mitchell on the line. Are you on the line, Mr. Mitchell? I'm here, Leslie. How are you doing? Great. I'm doing great. Um, Mitchell, would you please explain who you are to our audience? You you were on recently, but just for those people who didn't listen to our earlier show, let them know who you are. Hi. Well, I'm... uh, I'm a collector of um, and a historian of African-American history, um, as well as other things. I've been a Navy commander. I've been, uh, I have a business of selling um, rare newspapers as well. I go back to 1600. But basically, I put together a collection of African-American history that is, is rather unprecedented because it's, uh, it starts in the early 1600s when the first Africans came to um, these shores. That I'm talking about the United States. Uh, what is it today, and then uh, all the way through uh, uh, the re-election of Barack Obama all the way to the 21st century. And um, it's online at AfricanAmericanCollection.com. You can see some of it and uh, what it's all about. And uh, it's just my uh, my effort uh, to bring a textbook of history alive. I've read textbooks, but uh, a lot of people are naysayers. They say, this didn't really happen. Slavery didn't happen like this. And then so on. Malcolm X didn't say this. And yet what I do is I provide the original documents and, and books and photographs and manuscripts and letters and newspapers. They go all the way back, as I said, Leslie, to the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, 1900s, you name it. So it's, uh, it's uh, been a 21-year journey, and uh, it's quite exciting about uh, what I've learned as well as what I've been able to teach others. Okay. Okay. Well, today was something very interesting. Um, something very interesting happened. I discovered that you're not African American. Would you tell the audience basically a little bit about your background and, and how you came about? Well, let's see, I, uh, let's see, I grew up in Washington, D.C. I was born in D.C. and um, of Jewish extraction, except, uh, and, you know, I, as I told you this afternoon, last when we were talking, I became Christian uh, maybe about 30 years ago. So that's what I really am, and uh, it's it's nice to be both because you can, you can look at at the Bible from every way, every which way. Um, and uh, I, I, grew, I guess I grew up in Washington D.C. I've lived in um, Maryland and Virginia, is where I am now. And uh, again, went to University of Maryland, um, graduated with uh, a degree in polit- government and politics, and then a uh, minor in history and. And so along the way, though, I've always loved history. I'm also, well, I'm almost a jazz musician. I'm going to go back a little bit. I'm also a jazz musician. Um, uh, I played jazz, tenor, alto, soprano, saxophones, flutes, 
and I, I mean, music runs through my my uh, my blood, you know. And uh, my heroes have always been uh, pretty much African American jazz musicians. And I had the the honor, really, and the privilege um, in my early life, in my twenties, to meet Duke Ellington and his entire orchestra and get to be friends with them. That's something not too many people can say. And um, you know, I, a friend of mine is Herbie Hancock, you know, and Thelonious Monk Jr. And uh, I've met Branford Marsalis and so many uh, wonderful, uh, wonderful players today. And, uh, and of course, I, I, I mean, I, I listen all day to McCoy Tyner, John Coltrane, Miles. Um, that's that's those are my heroes. And uh, so that that kind of led me into jazz and, and collecting some things uh, that way. But as I said before. Um, um, I got into an, uh, collecting an African-American collection, putting that together, and that, that was interesting, Leslie, how it happened. It was about 21 years ago. I met some of the uh, famous Washington Redskins, some of the legends, uh, including um, maybe the most uh, beloved uh, Redskin of all time, Art Monk, and uh, also his uh, partner, Charles Mann. Uh, these are all pros, all, you know, uh, Ken Harvey, Daryl Green's a friend. And and uh, and so on, so many of the, of the Redskins, and they were they were uh, interested in buying some history from me. I had some rare newspapers and things like the Dred Scott uh, case in 1857, and a picture of Frederick Douglass on the on the cover of Harper's Weekly in 1883, first time a black man had ever been featured in that magazine on the cover. And and we we just had a great time about 1991, 92 discussing black history, and they wanted to teach their kids about it. They were extremely interested. So you, pro football players are very, very concerned with uh, with their past, and that was that was nice. It was very refreshing. So we got to be friends, and they said, "You know, Mark, you seem to know more about Black history than we do. I wonder if you could, you know, why don't you try to put together a collection?" And I thought that's a heck of a challenge, but I'm I don't shy away from a challenge, Leslie. So I began in 1991 to to call every. Uh, Every collector I knew, every uh, autograph dealer, you know, auction house, and of course I, I had, I was, I knew Sotheby's and Christie's and all these places before these auctions, so I had a um, good good network already started. But um, it's a matter of you know learning as I go and putting the puzzle pieces together. It's like you you, you put the the you know, the edge around you know the corner pieces and all that, and then you start filling in. Now, what do I need? What what will tell the story? What would help tell the story of Africans in America when it first came in the 1600s and onward? And uh, and and that's that. I, I find myself here in 2012 with a, a very complete collection. Um, that that um, I tell you, every well, time I look well, at a can piece, I, I, cut in just I can't believe a I, second. Hmm? Can yeah. you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, great. Could you tell the audience a little bit about the Smithsonian and how you're involved in the news? Uh, a newspaper um, write-up that you were involved with. Give us a little background about the exciting news about the Smithsonian. Well, it's not quite news yet. You know, I'm I'm, I'm talking to them. Um, um, in in uh, in 2001, I uh, I was I was sitting around thinking, uh, you know, there needs to be a museum on the mall for for uh, African American history because there wasn't one. There wasn't the Smithsonian African American Museum, as you know, and uh, and anyone listening to the news now knows that there was a groundbreaking uh, this year, which I attended, including the dinner beforehand and the groundbreaking drew a lot of people. Um, and uh, Dr. Lonnie Bunch was uh, chosen as the first um, director, the founding director. He's a friend of mine from, from a long time ago. 
And um, but um, when it when it started in 2001, I mean, Congressman John Lewis has it has been his dream, and and I know John, and it's um, it was his dream to have a African American museum. It goes back farther than that, um, all the way to the Civil War, actually. But um, in 2001, I happened to call an interesting person, Congressman then Congressman J. C. Watts, uh, Republican of Oklahoma, and went in there and talked to him about with my collection and said, you know, we we need to have a We've tried, and we, we just have not been able to, to get it through the Congress um, to the president. And, and so what I did was get the lobbyist and work with J.C. and J.C. worked with John Lewis. We all together, John Lewis and me and, and Senator Brownback and Senator Cleveland. So we had two Republicans, two Democrats, and the staffs, and we cobbled together a bill. And that went through uh, with, with flying colors. I said, just just do it. You know, I, I'm, I'm one of these, don't, don't mess around with people, just just do it. You ask other congressmen and senators, and they're going to say yes. That's the, I'm a very positive person. So we uh, we were able, you know, in, in a very short time to get the bills through. President Bush signed the signed the uh, the main, final bill, and we have a Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture on the Mall. I was so proud to be a, a, a founding part of that, and. Uh, Anyway, I've been in discussions with, with Lonnie. I know uh, Lonnie Bunch very well, as I said. And uh, uh, there's some of my pieces in, in, in their collection right now. Uh, obviously, it's, uh, it's supposed to be open. It's not open yet, but it's going to be open and built and ready to walk in, hopefully, in 2015, Leslie. And uh, I think millions Excellent of people news. will be able to learn. Excellent news. That's wonderful news. Now, um, mm-hmm. we're Facebook yep. friends, and you have a few websites and your uh, social uh, your social media guru, and uh, you noticed a post on my Facebook about Henry E. Biggs. Could you explain to the audience who he is? Now, who is that again? I'm sorry, who? Henry uh, Biggs. Biggs. Oh, Henry Biggs. Biggs. All right, Henry Biggs. <laughs> yes, okay, I got it. Um, yeah, I noticed uh, on Facebook the other, other day that you had uh, put a wonderful post about the uh, Henry Bibb, an escaped slave, uh, someone who, who wrote a wonderful slave narrative, you know, his life and, and, and how he escaped and his life before in slavery and out. And then, of course, he went to, he went to Canada, and um, he uh, was, was very uh, involved with the Underground Railroad. And so he, he published the first African-American published and owned newspaper in Canada, in beginning in 1851, I think 1851 to 1853, and I think he died 1854, if I'm, I'm probably correct. But um, interestingly enough, I saw your uh, post on Facebook, and I had to tell you that uh, you, uh, I have a copy of his newspaper, Voice of the Fugitive, that I, I bought recently. And you talk about a coincidence. And of course, you know, as we talked, I don't believe in coincidences. Uh, I think it's. it's Something's meant to happen. It's going to happen, and um, so I have perhaps I may not be correct, but I may have perhaps the only copy of Voice of the Fugitive uh, in private hands. There are some in still institutions, but it's an 1853 issue published by Henry Bibb, and uh, I, I was so excited I did show it to the Smithsonian, and uh, they were flabbergasted to see that uh, they'd never seen one before, but uh, they knew about it. They'd never seen a, a real one, and. And again, that's that's what my collection is about, Leslie. Is to is you can talk about it, and as you do so well, post so many wonderful uh, pieces of, of history 
on Facebook and, and everywhere. You talk about it. And you have your show. Um, what I try to do is provide the proof to see the actual documents, to see the writings, um, the letters, the manuscripts, the books, everything. So people know this is real. This happened because African American history is so rich, and uh, people of all you know races, creeds, colors, um, genders, ages need to know this history because. African Americans were a huge part in building this country. So that's so true, and thank you for the compliment. Could you um, tell the audience a little bit about um, your work in New York? You have some artifacts on display right now, right here in New York City. Yes, right at the um, Adam Clayton Powell Building in Harlem, this New York State uh, office building. Um, there's an exhibit. Uh, my friend Earl Pinto put that. Put that up. Um, he has his own collection there of uh, Harper's Weeklies and so on. And and uh, again, uh, invited me. It's our second collaboration, in fact, in New York City. To uh, invited me to put some pieces uh, up there. Um, I've, I've still got to go up and visit it. <laughs> I've talked to Earl. But uh, I think one. I think the, the main piece, the one that attracts the attention of the. I think the six major pieces I do have uh, in the um, display uh, uh, in Harlem. Is the is a Malcolm X letter that he typed and then wrote notes in. Um, he loved typing his own letters, and he wrote this from Cairo, Egypt, to Alex Haley. It's a two-page letter that is absolutely fascinating. People look at it and 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 read it, and then they start quoting <laughs> lines from it to me, <laughs> back to me, and it shows the the change. Uh, in, in uh, Malcolm X, I have a 1954 letter that he hand wrote to Elijah Muhammad. And then you see the change ten years later, where he's against Muhammad's teachings. First, he's for it, against. And uh, it's 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 quite interesting to see what Malcolm had to say um, in his own writing. As I said to you uh, today um, when we spoke earlier, um, it's you can read about and should read about Malcolm in books by people. He talked people who knew him. Um, you know, everyone's got an opinion on Malcolm and his work. And his life, but it's 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 so fascinating to see it in his own words. And I, I didn't know Malcolm said that. I didn't know Malcolm said that because give you can read his letters. Quotes. Mitchell, give us a few of those quotes that people usually uh, repeat to you. Well, well I I'm, I'm interested in hearing. Yeah, I, I think the big one. What happened was, I think the big story in, in this one letter is that. Um, uh, Alex Haley was all excited. I, I actually have Alex Haley's 1964 handwritten diary. And in it, he, he writes to Malcolm and he says, Hey, Malcolm, I, I, got, a great, I got great news for you because he was working on the autobiography of Malcolm X at the time with Malcolm. And he just about finished it. But he's like, Great news. You're going to be the cover of the Saturday Evening Post. And they're going to run part of the, uh, the book. In, in that particular issue of Saturday Evening Post. So he thought Malcolm was going to be so excited about this. And Malcolm was in Egypt at the time on his last uh, tour of, of, um, of Africa. And uh, instead, now, now Malcolm saw it, of course. He saw his picture on, on the post and all, but he was incensed. And why was that? Because at the very last page, there was a, a Saturday Evening Post editorial, Leslie, excoriating Malcolm X, just against him. And he was angry. So he wrote back to Alex Haley in this letter about, you know, uh, being attacked by the press. 
And he said, you know, I didn't defend all these years. I have all these years defending myself against Elijah Muhammad's defenseless positions. And he underlined it and capitalized defenseless positions of, of Elijah Muhammad without learning how to defend myself, you know, against anything, against the press. That, that, everybody wow. looked at that and said, that's, <laughs> that's a little known story. But, but you see, if you have the original letter and you have his, Alex Haley's logbook, and you put all that together with the, with the actual Saturday Evening Post, which I have, now you've got a little mini story going here. So, mm, I didn't know that. Right, That's right. right. That, that mm -hmm. is incredible. Mm -hmm. um, it is, and, it is, and, it is. Yeah. Um, and then we also talked about a gentleman that I just posted on Facebook tonight, Jacob Mencier. He's on your website. And by the way, give the audience the name of your website. So they can look at Again, these um, items while we're talking. Sure. The, uh, it's, um, you can use www or not. Um, AfricanAmericanCollection.com. That's AfricanAmericanCollection, one word, dot com. And you can see uh, it's dividing the categories, everybody. It's, uh, you know, there's arts and music, of course, jazz and, and so on, slavery and abolition. There's a lot there. Reconstruction, Jim Crow era, civil rights. Uh, blacks in the military, and that's all the way back to the Revolutionary War. I have the largest collection of African Americans in the Revolutionary War uh, in the world with uh, pay documents and, and even master-slave agreements, which are incredible, wow. education, uh, journalism, so while you're sports. Looking up, like, while you're looking I'm looking, looking, right, up, yeah, I'm looking right now. Rant. Yeah. I want you to talk about those slave master documents that you, you just mentioned while you're looking. And then oh, okay. Um, yeah. If I look, yeah. If, you, if I uh, click on the left side and hit military, on the website, first thing comes up is a uh, is the master slave enlistment agreement. Uh, with um, what happens, it, it's a, it's dated. It's it's from 1777, and of course, uh, America was uh, uh, at Galera's independence on July 4, 1776, and and um, was fighting uh, Britain for its uh, for its uh, um, independence. Um, and this is 1777. George Washington needed more soldiers, and so he turned. Um, he finally, he didn't reluctantly, he turned to African Americans and Native Americans, and uh, and they they uh, would enlist. He, he took slaves and free blacks both enlist in the army. And by the way, that they, they were uh, mostly uh, put in integrated regiments. So they fought side by side with Native Americans and whites. It was everybody together. And not until the Korean War, really, was, was the um, uh, military, again, integrated. Between a vast period, it was segregated. Um, unbelievable. And it, so anyway, there's an um, enlistment agreement. Yeah. It, it, there's an enlistment agree, agreement on, on the website for uh, a slave named, and this is from Connecticut, from Juba, his name is Juba or Jube Negro. That's his name, Jube Negro. He was a slave in Connecticut, of all places. And what happens, there's this agreement where, okay, the, his master um, would uh, let, him, <laughs> let him join the army, and, and he would get his freedom. And uh, he would get half his pay. And, and also, he probably got land as well, because many blacks got land for serving in the army. So uh, two, uh, in, on one side, you see the agreement. And it's actually signed with his ex mark, Juban Negro, uh, on uh, Milford, Connecticut, June 2, 1777, where there's the agreement. And then on the right side, you see a pay document where he's getting his pay. And, and this is 1784 after the war. 
doled out the pay. And here's the balance owed to Juba Freeman for his service. And uh, Rich Law, Richard Law signed for him, and Richard Law was his former master. And now, look, it's not Juba Negro anymore. He's, as soon as he got in the Army, he changed his name to Juba Freeman. Juba Freeman. So isn't that it's an incredible uh, story? And it there are sure many, is. many stories like that in the Revolutionary War. But this is the proof. This happened. So nobody can argue with me or anybody else. Where did you get this document from? What did you find? Oh, I, you know, I don't know where I got this particular one from. It could have been an auction. It could have been a collector. could have been very possibly, I think, was a collector, in fact. And um, uh, they know, uh, the whole world knows that I'm, I'm collecting this. So they, uh, you know, you got it. Another when you're collecting this, you've got to be first. If you see something, you need, you, you, if you're not first, it's gone. And you may never mm -hmm. get a chance to, to get something like this again. So that's, I've got to be right on it if I'm going to help tell the story to the world, because I would like millions of people to see this collection, and, and one way to do it is, of course, do this in the Smithsonian. So I'm, we'll, we'll, and your we'll see what happens. Very, your website is very effective. Now, I found Alonzo Rensier on your political page, your link to your political page. Right. You find him yet? Right under, yeah, he's right under uh, Lance Kelso Bruce, the second black senator. Okay, well, talk about Alonzo. Yeah, Alonzo, here he is. Um, he uh, in in um, he was uh, a uh, former South Carolina lieutenant governor, and uh, and he's one of the very first elected black congressmen. Uh, he was a Republican. They're all Republicans back then, because uh, the Republicans was the anti-slavery party. That's why it, it, they even formed the party in in the 1850s uh, to be an anti-slavery party. The Democratic Party was a pro-slavery party. Anyway, this is uh, what I have here is a, an autograph. An original autograph of Rancier, um, plus, and he said uh, he's from South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina. And then to the right of that, you can see uh, a pamphlet. Uh, it says at the top, Civil Rights, Speech of Honorable Alonzo J. Rancier, South Carolina, in the House of Representatives, February 7, 1874. It was printed in Washington, D.C. And uh, basically, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, a, a speech he delivered in the House in favor of a civil rights bill. That early, you know, and this is, of course, during Reconstruction, when you had federal troops, Union troops in the South, protecting the rights of blacks to vote and, and to keep intimidation down and, and, and you know, things like that, poll taxes and, and, and all that stuff that was going on, uh, you know, later after they pulled the federal troops out and they entered, entered the Jim Crow era. But he's, uh, he basically um, uh, stressed uh, in the civil rights uh, speech Stress the overwhelming loyalty of African Americans to the Republican Party, and saying, "Okay, we we've supported you, Republicans, and but such support, you know, such fidelity should be rewarded by passage of a civil rights bill." And he also spoke out for equal education opportunities. And one of his quotes in here I have on here he says, "Let the doors of the public school house be thrown open to us alike." And I'll tell you, these these congressmen back back then, and then uh, uh, could I mean speak so eloquently. I mean, um, you need a dictionary to read the speech. Um, the the they, the level of education was incredible um, um, for many of them. Of course, the one person that comes to mind mostly is, is one of my heroes, Frederick Douglass, who taught himself how to read, and um, and uh, just could make a speech. As I said, you would need a dictionary. 
he wrote uh, Doug Defoe's three autobiographies, and um, they're fantastic. I, I urge everybody to read Frederick Douglass's autobiographies. Um, they're amazing. They're, you can find them in any bookstore, I think, pretty much, the big ones, anyway, or online. I, I do have three original, I mean, uh, volume, you know, first editions of all three of them in the collection. Now, can our listeners purchase any of your um, books or documents, artifacts? Yeah, I, I do. Um, um, not from the collection itself, but I certainly do. I have uh, sold uh, some wonderful historical uh, artifacts, you know, and, and uh, photographs and newspapers. And uh, you know, I've got copies of Frederick Douglass newspaper um, back in the 1850s and uh, letters, manuscripts, and so on that are not in the collection, but there certainly could be. It's just that I've uh, got so much. <laughs> That. And, and then I sell them uh, so that I can purchase more uh, other pieces that other pieces that uh, would fit in the main collection. I've got to make some money somehow to keep this collection going. If I see something that that really needs to be uh, in there to help tell the story. Wonderful. Well, we're coming to a close of the show. Would you like to give your last remarks? Well, again, I, I urge um, everybody listening um, to. To get out a textbook, at least, uh, I was reading Before the Mayflower. I think that's a wonderful. Before the Mayflower by uh, Lerone Bennett, Jr., great scholar, um, is a fantastic history history book, and it will it's great reading, too. And you can read you know from the 1600s or before to the present. Um, teach yourself, especially teach kids, teach children from kindergarten through college, um, this rich history of Africans in America. There's just nothing like it. It's it's necessary. We all need to know it. Because again, as I say, uh, I'll quote a, a professor friend of mine, Professor Jim Horton, James Oliver Horton, one of, I think, the greatest scholars in America today, a good friend. Uh, he said, African American history is American history made in America by Americans. Because we're all Americans. We're all equal. We're all Americans. And we, we need to pull together um, and understand the entire history of America and who built this country. And uh, African Americans had such a huge part. And I learn every day something new. And you teach me something, too, when you post something on Facebook, by the way. And I hope well, I do the same for you, so Leslie. Thank you, Ms. Mitchell. But I also, we have to mention the election, the historic election, uh, which took place two days ago. So that will really be your final remark. Say something about this past election and then we'll call it a night. Well, yeah, it's another historic election. You know, Barack Obama being first elected in uh, 2007, the first black president, and uh, uh, what a great day for the, for the country. Uh, and then uh, also being reelected now uh, and see uh, what, what we can do uh, to move the, uh, the country forward and, and to protect this nation from, uh, from the, you know, the terrorism around because it, it's, a, it's a dangerous world out there. So I pray that... Um, that uh, Barack and work with uh, both the House of Representatives and the Senate and with all Americans to uh, to keep this country strong and safe, uh, people, and, of course, to, to help our economy. And I know so many people are hurting right now. Um, and I'm uh, just, just hoping that um, it gets better. And then also I'm, uh, you know, praying for all the victims of the Hurricane Sandy. That's, anyway, if you're out there, I'm sure, you know, in New York, New Jersey, and, and other places where it hit so hard, that, that's something where we get a lot of relief for for anybody out there that's uh, still um, hurting so much. So anyway, I just uh, it's um, it's uh, a great day for America um, uh, this election, and uh, we'll just see what happens. You never know. <laughs> yes, but, and we'll uh, be talking about collecting some of his 
artifacts real soon. In four more years, we'll be talking about how much things are worth and what's important and what's valuable, right? Exactly, yeah. It, it, the work goes on. The work always goes uh -huh. on. All right. We're living history right now. So, again, thank you for everything that you do, and we will definitely have you on again. Oh, it'll be a pleasure, Leslie. Thank you very much. All righty. Good night. Good night. At Wendy's, the this just in. Wendy's news. Okay, this is uh, Leslie. That was a show from four years ago, right after our election. Um, I'm going to end this show. I want to thank everyone who listened. If you still here, Miss Nellie Johnson. Oh, I'm still here. I enjoyed that. It, it oh. sounded so current. It sounded so current. I didn't realize it was from two years ago. I didn't realize it was from, from four years ago. No, I didn't mean, yeah. It was I, just I so current. It was so current. Yes, yeah, thank so you. Current. And, and I will be looking for shows similar that are related to what's going on today, and I'll be sharing them like I did today. I think it went very smoothly because of your help um, and everyone that joined in, I know that Mr. Brown is on the line. He should be coming in um, for his show. Yes. Uh, Leslie, can you hear me? Yeah, I think I, I, I can. I don't know if she can. Oh, I can. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed that also. I like to say that even though it was four years ago, I find that our history is always current. It, mm. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> yes. it is, it's still current because we're dealing with mm. issues and situations that relate to whatever has happened. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm well, it and, reminds uh, me to give him a call. I'm going to catch up with Mr. Mitchell. And it was just surprising that we were talking about the Smithsonian Museum. I, you know, I didn't expect mm -hmm. to hear most of the stuff he talked about. But as usual, well, that's why um, I thought it was mm -hmm. current because he was talking about the Smithsonian and the African American Museum. So that's why I thought it was current too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, so, you know, I was surprised to hear him talk about it in that way Because, it, you know, it was always a dream You know, but uh -huh. to, to actually see it come true I think I have to invite him back on the show And get his input and how, you know, his experience But it was, um, it was a good show um, with him um, Like I said, next week I'll try to go on my archives And pull up another one because we will know who the next president of the United States will yeah, be. Well, by next weekend, and hopefully, hopefully, we will have a new president elect, a new president elect. Of course, one of the people that's running has said that he doesn't, he'll let us know at the time whether or not he will um, abide by all the normal rules and regulations. So we'll see. Okay. This could well, be another yes. 2004. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. And now this show is going to be archived. You're now part yeah. of the Gist of Freedom. So uh, let's give um, a station identification before we hand it off to Mr. Donald Brown. Yes, uh, T-A-N, uh, let me see. Cecilia, are you there? Grandma? Okay, then I guess I'll do it. Uh, this is T-A-N-D-L-Radio.com. 90.4 on your radio in East New York. And um, if you can, uh, it reaches some places outside of East New York, but it's 90.4 FM, com, And this is the Gist of Freedom, 
and Donald Brown, which is Nellie Johnson, giving the information. All right. Thank you, good people, and we'll Donald be on Brown. radio Saturday. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. And, and thank okay, you so much. Yeah,